So as a church, we've been journeying through the Bible together over two years, and um, we're well into our second year now, and uh, very soon we'll be reaching the New Testament. But right now, we are just in the book of Ezekiel. We've got three weeks uh, in the book of Ezekiel. Now, before I jump into uh, chapter one, which is where we're mainly going to be hanging out today, I just want to tell you a little bit about Ezekiel and, and who he is, what's going on, uh, what the book is like. Um, if you've never read Ezekiel before, strap in, hold on, get ready, because it is one of the most exciting and weird books in the Bible. It is a book that is full of vision um, and, and drama. So it, what happens essentially is, is, is Ezekiel, as his prophet, he sees these visions of God, uh, and then God speaks to him and says, now I want you to go and act out. Out this in front of the people. Like, I want you to give them a vision like I've given you. Show them visually what I want to say to them. And so he ends up doing all these crazy, crazy things. Um, some of them just so weird. Like, so, so one of the things he does is he lies on his side for 390 days, uh, just led there, like representing uh, the, the sin of Israel for 390 years. And he flips over and he lies on the other side for 40 days, representing the sin of Judah and 40 years worth of sin. Uh, another crazy thing uh, that he does is he builds this kind of model of Jerusalem and then he lays siege to it. It'd be a bit like me standing up here on a Sunday building a Lego model of counterslip and then kicking it down. You'd think I was nuts. If you, if you just sat here watching the service and I did that in front of you, you'd be like, what is this, this guy doing? Like crazy. He just does these strange things that look stupid to people. Another thing he does uh, is he, he goes and stands in front of these two mountains and he starts stamping his feet and clapping his hands and shouting at these mountains. Just ridiculous. Uh, another thing that he does is, is to cook food over poo. Okay, so literally he's having his barbecue and he's got poo in the fire as his fuel. He's burning it. Like, what on earth is he up to? It is full of weird things. Possibly, though, the weirdest thing of all, the craziest thing that he does is, is that God asks him to shave off his beard and then set it on fire. That ain't happening. <laughs> what is he doing? This is staying on. Thank you very much, Lord. Um, but yeah, so he does all these crazy, crazy things. Um, now, when is this taking place? Well, Ezekiel happens roughly around the time of Jeremiah and Lamentations. There's a bit of overlap and then it carries on a little bit afterwards. So it's during the time of the captivity in Babylon. Why don't we jump in? Why don't we read chapter one together and, and let's just uh, dive in and see what is going on here. So grab your Bible. Um, if you prefer, you can follow on the screen. It's going to pop up on the screen as well. But let's just read chapter one together. In my 30th year... In the fourth month, on the fifth day, while I was among the exiles by the Kabar River, the heavens were opened and I saw visions of God. On the fifth of the month, it was the fifth year of the exile of King Jehoiachin. The word of the Lord came to Ezekiel, the priest, the son of Buzi, the, the, um, by the Kabar River in the land of the Babylonians. There, the hand of the Lord was upon him. 
I looked and I saw a windstorm coming out of the north, an immense cloud with flashing lightning and surrounded by brilliant light. The center of the fire looked like glowing metal and in the fire was what looked like four living creatures. In appearance, their form was human. But each had four faces and four wings. Their legs were straight, their feet like those of a calf, and gleamed like burnished bronze. Under their wings, on their four sides, they had human hands. All four of them had faces and wings, and the wings of each one touched the wings of another. Each one went straight ahead. They did not turn as they moved. Their faces looked like this. Each of the four had the face of a human being. And on the right side, each had the face of a lion. And on the left, the face of an ox. Each also had the face of an eagle. Such were their faces. They each had two wings spreading out upward, each wing touching that of the creature on either side. And each had two other wings covering its body. Each one went straight ahead. Wherever the spirit would go, they would go without turning as they went. The appearance of the living creatures was like burning coals of fire or like torches. Fire moved back and forth among the creatures. It was bright and lightning flashed out of it. The creatures sped back and forth like flashes of lightning. As I looked at the living creatures, I saw a wheel on the ground beside each creature with its four faces. This was the appearance and structure of the wheels. They sparkled like topaz and all four looked alike. Each appeared to be made like a wheel intersecting a wheel. As they moved, they would go in any one of the four directions the creatures faced. The wheels did not change direction as the creatures went. Their rims were high and awesome, and all four rims were full of eyes all around. When the living creatures moved, the wheels beside them moved. And when the living creatures rose from the ground, the wheels also rose. Wherever the spirit would go, they would go. And the wheels would rise along with them because the spirit of the living creatures was in the wheels. When the creatures moved, they also moved. When the creatures stood still, they also stood still. And when the creatures rose from the ground, the wheels rose um, along with them because the spirit of the living creatures was in the wheels. Spread out above the heads of the living creatures was what looked something like a vault, sparkling like crystal and awesome. Under the vault, their wings were stretched out one toward the other, and each had two wings covering its body. When the creatures moved, I heard the sound of their wings like the roar of rushing waters, like the voice of the Almighty, like the tumult of, the, of an army. When they stood still, they lowered their wings. Then there came a voice from above the vault over their heads as they, lowered, as they stood with lowered wings. Above the vault, over their heads, was what looked like a throne of lapis lazuli. And high above, on the throne, was a figure like that of a man. I saw that from what appeared to be his waist up, he looked like glowing metal, as if full of fire. And that from there down, he looked like fire. And brilliant light surrounded him, like the appearance of a rainbow in the clouds on a rainy day. So was the radiance around him. 
This was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. When I saw it, I fell face down and I heard the voice of one speaking. Wow. Wow. Let's just pray. Uh, Father God, thank you for your word. Um, thank you for that, that vision that Ezekiel had. And I just pray, Lord God, that uh, as we talk this morning, that you would be speaking, Lord, that your spirit would be revealing more of who you are. Lord, bring to life this vision for us. Help us to see you like Ezekiel saw you. God, that's our longing today, to know you more, to see you, to be with you. So pour out your spirit, God. Come, speak to us and be with us, we pray. Amen. Wow, what a vision. What a vision. That is crazy, isn't it? Um, I love that Ezekiel starts with this vision. You see, God is about to do some amazing things and it all begins with vision. And we're going to jump into that vision in just a moment. Uh, but before we do, I just want you to focus on Ezekiel himself. And uh, let's just take a look at where he is, what he's doing, what he's up to. Okay, and let's just just look at that. So right back at the start of the chapter, you'll notice it says in my 30th year. Like this year, he turned 30, his birthday, turning 30. Where is he in captivity? Now, why is it important that it mentions that it's his 30th year? I want you to hang on to this. You see, Ezekiel was supposed to be a priest. He was from a certain line. We read about that in chapter, in verse three. He's from a certain line and he was a priest. He, if he was back in Jerusalem, at this point, he'd be serving in the temple. When he turned 30, that was the point when you could um, be installed as a priest in the temple. This is when he was supposed to start his ministry. Now at 30 years old. And that is not where he is. And that is not what is happening. Maybe, maybe you feel a little bit like Ezekiel. Maybe you're a little bit like, man, like I've just turned 21 or I've just turned 30 or I've just turned 40 or 60 or 80, whatever age you've recently turned. And you're like, by now, I thought that life would look like this. By now, I was expecting to be doing this. Maybe you've just got this job or you've just got married or you've just had children or this or that has just happened. And that's a life marker for you. And you were thinking, surely by now I was expecting to be like this, to have achieved this, to have done this, for life to have been like this. And it isn't. And it isn't. Maybe you feel a bit like Ezekiel. It was my 30th year and it was supposed to look like this. And instead, it doesn't. It looks like something else. Maybe you feel that. Um, we mentioned as well that, that he's in captivity in Babylon. That's where he is. Now, those of you that are old enough uh, will probably remember the song by Boney M, By the Rivers of Babylon. I only really remember it because when I used to learn the organ when I was a kid, it was one of the songs in the book that I had to learn. Uh, so I know it from there. But uh, By the Rivers of Babylon, there's a line in that song that says, uh, how can we sing the Lord's song in this strange land? Like, look where we are. How? How can we sing the Lord's song in this strange land? In captivity, how can we be the people of God? How can we fully be alive and live when we're here, not back in Jerusalem? And maybe you feel a bit like that. Maybe you're like, how can we live like this during this pandemic, during this time while all this stuff is going on? How can we live like this? How can we hold on to hope like you were talking about the other week, Matt, when this is what life is like? How? How can we hold on to hope in this place or in these circumstances? How? How can we do it? 
Maybe you are just longing to get back to something else or back to somewhere else or back to some time else when things were different or could be different again, when life will be better. You know, maybe at that point when things are good, then I can sort my life out with Jesus and then I'll read the Bible and then I'll pray and then I'll worship, then I'll meet with God when all this other stuff is sorted. You know, um, Poor Ezekiel, he's been there, it says in verse 2, on the fifth month, uh, sorry, on the fifth month, it was the fifth year of the exile of King Jehoiachin. So chances are Ezekiel's been carried off in the first lot of um, captives that were taken with King Jehoiachin into Babylon. And he's been there about five, six years. Now, cast your mind back to Jeremiah and what he said, his prophecy said that this captivity was going to last 70 years. 70 years. You're like, oh man what another 64 65 years to go like how 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 with all of that time stuck here can we ever be who we're supposed to be and do what we're supposed to do maybe you're thinking like I have been faithfully living out my faith but look at where we're at now how but how Maybe you're feeling a bit like the older brother in the parable of um, the prodigal son that Jesus tells. And you're out working in the field and everybody else is partying over in the house. And you're just like, how? Why is no one with me? What is going on? Like, but you, you've, you've, you've forgotten who you are. You've forgotten that you're the son of that father and you're welcome at that party too. <laughs> like, how can I keep going like this in these circumstances? Maybe you're a little bit like... Um, the church in Revelation where Jesus says to them, I, I love your good deeds. I love them. But you have forgotten your first love. And that is more important. You have forgotten your first love. Maybe if any of that resonates with you, I, I just want to say this to you. If, if you're feeling like by now it should have been different. Like by now I was expecting church to look like this. Like by now I was expecting life to look like this. By now I was expecting to be here and not here. Like by now I was expecting this. And I, how can I be all that I want to be or all that God's saying to me while I'm here in this place? I want to say this to you. Now is the time. Now is the time. Not then, but now. Now is the time. Now is the time where God can meet with you. Where you are, just as you are right now, is when and where God can meet with you. This is where God shows up to meet with Ezekiel in his 30th year in in. Uh, Babylon in the place of exile. This is where the vision happens. If you are feeling like you are without hope, like you are lost, like you are stuck, like you are tired, like you are worn out, then now is the time. And what you need is a fresh vision of God. That is what we need. The Bible says that without vision, people perish. But it's not just any vision. It's not like, you know, that, <laughs> the song from Joseph, any dream will do. No, 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 no. Certain vision, certain dream. What we fix our eyes on is so important. And Ezekiel's dream just isn't random, even though when we read it, we're like, what on earth is going on there? It's not random. It is specific and it is particular. And what our vision is, is so important. It's not just without any vision, the people perish. Without particular vision, the people perish. And we need a certain vision. So what was Ezekiel's vision? of all this wheels within wheels and these creatures with four faces and and all this brilliant light and what on earth is that vision 
That vision is incredible. I want to just talk briefly about that now. That vision that Ezekiel has is a vision of God himself. It's a vision of God himself. It is a vision of the temple. One of the first things that you notice when the vision happens is there's this, this storm, this thunderstorm, this kind of flashing of lightning and this fire. Would you remember, cast your mind back, all the way back to when the, temp, um, when the glory of the Lord first filled the temple. They finished the temple. Solomon had finished building it. He prays and dedicates it. And then the glory of the Lord fills the temple. And there is this huge kind of storm that happens. It falls down. The fire falls down. The lightning falls down. And God's presence shows up. The first thing that happens here is this brilliant lightning storm. The presence of God is arriving. It's this vision of God as you go on. You read about the living creatures and they sound a bit crazy, don't they? These wings and these four faces. If you go to Ezekiel chapter 10, what you discover there is that they are a particular type of creature. These creatures are what the Bible calls cherubim. They're cherubim. Cherubim aren't these little kind of floaty baby angels. Cherubim are fierce and terrifying. They are huge. And their main role is to go before the presence of God. They are the guardians of the presence of God, if you like. Um, If you jump back to Genesis chapter 3, before we do that, I just want to read to you from Ezekiel chapter 1 again, verse um, 13, 14. The appearance of the living creatures was like burning coals or fire or like torches. Fire moved back and forth among the creatures. It was bright and lightning flashed out of it. The creatures sped back and forth like flashes of lightning. Now, jump back to uh, Genesis chapter 3 and um, verse 24 says this. After he drove the man out, so this is out of the garden. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. The cherubim, uh, they go and protect the presence of God. They protect the holy place, the place where God dwells. Another place that you see the cherubim is in the Holy of Holies in the temple, where the presence of God was believed to dwell. Cherubim are molded on the Ark of the Covenant, made out of gold with their wings stretched out, touching each other, protecting the place where the presence of God was supposed to dwell. You see... What Ezekiel's vision is, is actually a vision of the temple. It is a vision of the Holy of Holies. It is a vision of the Ark of the Covenant. You you notice that um, the Ark of the Covenant, um, sorry, you notice that in Ezekiel's vision, uh, this vision has these wheels and it moves, okay? Remember, the Ark of the Covenant, it moved. They carried it. It moved. The presence of God believed to dwell on it and and, and they moved. It was a movable thing, a movable throne, if you like. And in his vision, there is a throne and the presence of God is sitting on the throne and the cherubim are surrounding it and these wheels are carrying it and it is moving. It is the movable throne of God. It's a little bit like God's very own Pope mobile, you know. It's the movable throne of God. The presence of God is on the moving. That is what Ezekiel's vision is. It is a vision of God. It is a vision of God. And church, we all need a vision of God. We all need to lift our eyes and see him. He is where our hope comes from. He is where our peace comes from. He is where our joy comes from. He is where our life comes from. We need a vision of God. Now, 
Ezekiel was able to recognize that glory of God in that vision because he knew what to look for. So look again at Ezekiel 1 verse 3. The word of the Lord came to Ezekiel, the priest, the son of Buzi, uh, uh, by the Kabar River in the land of the Babylonians. I have no idea if I'm saying his dad's name correctly, so forgive me for that. Buzi, Buzi, I don't know. But the point is he was from a certain line and he was a priest. That means that before he was carried off into captivity, which he'd been there for five years now, so around about the time he was 25 years old, 24, 25 years old, he would have been carried off into captivity. Up until that point, he was in Jerusalem training to be a priest. He, he was in the scriptures. He was in and around the temple. He knew what it looked like. He knew who God was. He knew what the presence of God was like. So when he was in captivity and this crazy vision happened in that unexpected place, he knew exactly what he was looking at. He knew the scriptures because he had dedicated his life to training to serve God. So when that vision happened, he knew who he was looking at. He knew what he was looking at. That's why he fell face down. That's why he fell face down. Church, do you know how to look for God? Do you know how to look for God? This is why we're trying to encourage you to read the Bible every day. It's not because we're trying to get you to do ritual stuff and religious stuff and become a religious person. It's because we want to be a people that know who God is. How do we know who he is? Through his word, through his word. By the grace of God, he's given us this so that we would know who he is and how he works and how he meets with people. This is it. This is why we want you to read the Bible every day. This is why we encourage you to spend time with him, to pray, to worship. I, I don't know how you've been getting on with the online services. I know, trust me, I know they're not easy. I have to come here and film in an empty room. I know it's not the same. I know it's not the same. Uh, but I want to encourage you, when you're at home and, and the worship's on, don't just sit back and like wait for it to be over or don't skip through to the preach or whatever it is you're doing. I want to encourage you, if you can, stand up, turn up your television or your laptop or whatever you're watching on and just sing out, like actually worship, spend time with Jesus. Because as we spend time with him, as we spend time with him, we get to know who he is and then we get to spot him in the rest of our lives and what he's up to. A little side note, I'm going off script here, but um, I was talking with someone the other week and um, we were just talking about how to spot God in kind of difficult times. And we talked about Peter walking on the water. You remember in that story uh, that it is in the middle of the night, there's a storm going on. They thought that Jesus walking on the water was this ghost figure. They didn't even realize it was Jesus. And then Peter says, Jesus, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you and I will. And then Jesus says, yes, it is I, come. How did he know to go? Because he couldn't see him properly. It's not like suddenly his vision got into focus. He knew it was Jesus because he recognized his voice. He recognized his voice. How did he recognize his voice in the midst of the storm and the darkness? He recognized his voice because Simon Peter spent every single day with Jesus. So when Jesus spoke, he knew his voice and he trusted him enough to step out of the boat and on to the water. We need to be like Peter. We need to be like Ezekiel. We need to be equipped. We need to know what we're looking for so that we can discover God at work in our lives. Because believe me, God is never not at work. 
If you're not sensing God at work, it's because you haven't got your eyes open to see what he's doing or your heart open to to be aware of what he's trying to say to you. God is never not at work. So that's why we're encouraging you to do that, to, to, to be open to all that he is wanting to say and do in your life. Let's read the Bible. Let's spend time with him in prayer and in worship. Thankfully, it's not all on us. Um, because actually we have a God that longs. He longs to meet with us. He longs to reveal himself to us. He longs to show himself to us that we might see him. That is his longing. Um, And uh, as you've been reading through Ezekiel and as you carry on reading through Ezekiel, I don't know if you've spotted this already. Uh, Maybe you have, maybe you haven't. Maybe you'll start noticing it now when I've said it. Um, but throughout Ezekiel, again and again and again, this phrase keeps coming up. And it's this phrase, then you will know that I am the Lord. Then they will know that I am the Lord. And, and that phrase, I know that I keep bringing this word up again and again and again, but that word know is the word yada. And it doesn't just mean to know about, it means to intimately know. And so throughout uh, Ezekiel, God keeps saying, I'm going to do this, Ezekiel, so that they intimately know that I am Yahweh. They know that I am their creator. They know that I am their breath of life. They know that I am their God and their father and I love them. This is why I'm doing this. Then I'm going to do this, Ezekiel, so that they will know that I am the Lord. Then I'm going to do this, Ezekiel, so that they will know intimately that I am their God. Yes, again and again, like literally chapter 5 verse 13, chapter 6 verse 7, verse 10, verse 13, verse 14, chapter 7 uh, verse 4, verse 9, verse 27, chapter 11, verse 10, verse 12, chapter 12, verse 16 and 20, chapter 13, verse 9, 14, 21, 23, chapter 14, verse 8, and we could go on and on. This phrase keeps coming up again and again and again. That is God's heart. That has always been God's heart and always been his plan that people would know him. The Bible says that when we seek him, we will find him. We will find him. When we seek him, we will find him because he wants to be found. He wants you to know him. He wants you to see him. He wants you to experience his goodness in your life. When we seek him, we will find him. That is the story of the Bible from Genesis right through to Revelation. If you go back to Genesis, the the plan at the beginning, before human beings messed it all up, the plan was this, that God would walk in the garden with human beings. That they would know him intimately. They would yada him. They would be with him. And then when they screw that up and they leave the garden, God goes after them and he meets with Noah and he meets with Abraham and he meets with Joseph and he meets with um, Moses and on and on and on. He just keeps wanting to make himself known to us all the way through to Revelation. You get to the end of Revelation and it ends by saying this, that God made his dwelling with man again upon the earth. The end of the Bible It's the remaking of the beginning of the Bible. It is God restoring his plan to be with people that they might die him, that they might intimately know him and walk with him. Don't you want that? I want that in my life so much. You know, um, Ezekiel being in captivity probably would have been really surprised that the presence of God showed up where it did. 
because God was not where Ezekiel expected him to be. As far as Ezekiel was concerned as a priest, God should have been in the temple in Jerusalem. And yet, where was he? Showing up in Babylon, of all places in Babylon, in captivity. But God was exactly where he wanted to be and exactly where he needed to be with his people. He doesn't abandon us. He keeps coming after us. Just like the garden story, when people moved out, God followed. When people were taken into captivity, God left the temple and he went to be with them. And today, God is chasing after you. He is chasing after me. He wants to know us and he wants us to know him. I wonder if you've been like Ezekiel. Have you boxed God up? Were you expecting God to only be in certain places? Maybe you've been at home and you've been watching these Sunday services, but all you can think about is the fact that it's not the same. And you think, when I get back to church, back to the building, then, then I'll meet with God. Then I'll lift my hands in praise. Then I'll experience his Holy Spirit. Then I'll start reading my Bible. Then I'll understand what God is saying to me. Then. Have you boxed God up? Do you think that he's just in this building? Let me tell you now, he is not. He is not. Have you boxed God out of certain areas of your life? Have you boxed God up just as a religious thing, not as a whole life thing? You see, the thing is, is that God, he wants to meet with us in all the areas of our lives. But if we've boxed him up, then we're not going to be aware of when he shows up. We won't know what to look for because we're excluding him from that. But do you know what? We have a God who shows up by the rivers of Babylon. We have a God who shows up in captivity. We have a God who will go anywhere to any length at any time to be with his people, to make himself known. God will meet us anywhere if we're ready to receive him. Um, and so I want to come into land really with, with this. And ask, how? How do we make ourselves ready to receive him? How do we open up? How do we do that? Um, I, I don't know if you ever knew this or you spotted this when we were reading through, but there are three major prophets in the Bible. There are the, the 12 minor ones as well, but the three major ones, we've got Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel. And um, it has been said that each of these three prophets uh, focuses in on a specific characteristic or part of the Trinity. Okay, so, so Isaiah focuses in on the Son, he talks about the Son. Um, Jeremiah focuses in on the Father, and Ezekiel, he focuses in on the Holy Spirit. Um, and what we see all throughout Ezekiel is that the Spirit of God ushers in the presence of God. He leads the way. Um, cast your mind back or glance down, if you like, uh, to Ezekiel chapter 1, verse 4. And you read there, I looked and I saw a windstorm, is how the NIV translates it. And different versions will translate it in different ways. Um, some will say, I looked and I saw a powerful wind. Uh, I looked and I saw a wind blowing powerfully in from the north. The windstorm, I think, is probably a bit of an unhelpful translation because it looks like windstorm is one word. But in the Hebrew, the word for wind, which is on its own there, is the word ruach. Ruach. And, and Ruach is the word that is used throughout the Bible to talk about the Spirit of God. It does mean breath as well, and it does mean wind. Um, but you go back to Genesis, and when God breathed his life, it's the Ruach of God that he breathes. When God blows, it is the Ruach of God that blows. And before Ezekiel sees this vision, the wind blows. It makes a way. The Spirit goes before and makes a way for this vision of God. 
in chapter 1, uh, verse 12, and we see it in verse 20 as well, talking about the living creatures, Ezekiel says this. He says, wherever the spirit would go, they would go. You see, the living creatures... Uh, the, the cherubim, they are carrying the throne of God. And so they're carrying the presence of God. And, and they go wherever the Spirit goes. If the Spirit leads, they go. Yeah, the Spirit leads the way for the presence of God. And, and you carry on reading in Ezekiel chapter 2, verse 2. The Spirit fills Ezekiel and it lifts him up so that he is before God. So he's before God. And you read this phrase that the Spirit lifted him up again and again in chapter 3, verses 12, in chapter 3, verse 14, in chapter 8, verse 3, in chapter 10, verse 17, in chapter 11, verse 5, in verse 24, and on and on and on. It keeps talking about the Spirit. The Spirit lifted me up. He brought me into the place where I could see the heavens, where I could see God. It's not just in Ezekiel, though. It's all over the Bible, all over the Bible. In Genesis chapter 1, we read that in the beginning, that the Spirit was hovering over the surface of the deep. It's almost like the Spirit shows up and he's like, I'm going to pitch up here. I'm going to start vibrating, stirring things up, making things ready so that the, the, the Father, the Creator, can come and, and through the Son, through the Word, can speak life into being. And so he's there and he's like hovering over the surface of the deep. And it's like he's saying, come on, Father, come and speak. Come and show yourself in to this creation. And then God shows up and he speaks. And there is creation uh, at Jesus' baptism. Jesus gets baptized. And then we read that the heavens opened and the spirit of God rested on him like a dove. And then, then the voice of the Father speaks. This is my son whom I love. This is my son. You see, the spirit shows up before the revelation of who Jesus is. The spirit reveals to us who Jesus is. Um, at Pentecost, they're told to wait, wait for the spirit. And at Pentecost, the spirit falls upon the church right before they are given that power then by the spirit to go out into the world and preach Jesus, to reveal Jesus to the world. The spirit leads to revelation of who Jesus is. How do we get this vision of God? How do we get to see Jesus more clearly in our lives? We need the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit. In the New, sorry, in the New Testament, in uh, John chapters uh, 15, sorry, 14, 15, and 16, Jesus gives this uh, mammoth kind of teaching. And it's all about the Spirit, really. That's, that's the crux of it. It's all about the Holy Spirit. And, and so um, in, in chapters 14, 15, and 16, Jesus, he tells us that the Spirit of God is going to teach you, is going to show you, is going to reveal to you more of me. That's what the Spirit does. Listen to this from chapter 16, verses 12 um, to 14. Jesus speaking to his disciples, he says, I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? Jesus is like, I've got so much more for you, more than you can bear right now. And then he goes on and says this, he says, but when he, the spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me. He will reveal me. He will point you to me. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. The spirit reveals, it opens up, it shows us Jesus and all that Jesus wants to give us. And, and Jesus, he says as well, well, 
This is how, how you know me. This is how you will remain in me when I am not physically with you. How you will abide by, by abiding in the spirit, by abiding in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is our connection to Jesus, the presence of God that dwells within us. The New Testament talks about us being the temple of the Spirit, that God dwells in us. He's broken out of the Old Testament temple and he has come to live in you and in me. That's how we know him, by the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, uh, when you read the Bible or when you listen to these, uh, these preachers or when you pray or when you worship, the difference b- between it being religion or relationship, the difference between it being flat and boring or being alive is the presence of the Holy Spirit. It's the presence of the Holy Spirit. Jesus says uh, that God is spirit. And he is looking for those who will worship him in spirit and in truth. In spirit and in truth. We need the Holy Spirit. That's how we get a clear vision of Jesus. That's what the Spirit does. He points us to Jesus. Uh, As we look forward as a church to all that is yet to come, I believe that we are a little bit like Ezekiel. Okay, We find ourselves newly in this strange land. I said the other week, our world has changed and there's no going back. We can't just go back and be the church that we used to be anymore. We can't do that. The world has changed. We're in a new place and a new time and a new season And so as we look forward as a church, we need to set our eyes back upon him. We need to come back to who he is. We need to have a clear and fresh vision of who he is so that we know where he is leading. Because Ezekiel had a message for the people that were in captivity. He had a message for the world around him, not just in Jerusalem, but in Babylon. In that time, in that kind of difficult period, God wanted to speak to his people. But in order for Ezekiel to do that, the very first thing that he needed was a big and powerful vision of God. We need that big and powerful vision again of Jesus. All that he has done upon the cross, about the power of his resurrection and over the grave. Like, wow. What a God he is, his power over our sin and our shame. We need to have our eyes fixed upon him again. And that only happens by the spirit of God being poured out upon his church. If you are feeling like Ezekiel was at the start, if you are feeling like by now this should have happened, by now my life should look like this, by now I was hoping our church would look like this, by now I was expecting to be here or do that or be like this, but no, I'm here and this is going on and that's happening and how can this happen and how can that happen when this is the world around me, this is the state of the situation, how, 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 well this is how. You need a fresh vision of Jesus. We need a fresh vision of Jesus. And how does that happen? By being open to the Holy Spirit. By being open to the Holy Spirit. I just want to invite you this morning to be open to his spirit. I want to invite you again to ask the Spirit of God to come and rest upon, to come and hover over, to come and vibrate over all the dark places in your life. The the places that maybe you're thinking, oh, this is dry or barren or dark and, and God isn't there and God isn't there and God isn't there. Do you know what? If it is dark and barren and chaotic, the chances are the Spirit of God is hovering over it because God loves to bring life to those places. He loves to bring life to those places. And the Spirit moves upon them first and then calls God into that. And that is how we discover the presence of God, by allowing the Spirit to touch those places that often we don't think he is, or maybe we don't want him to be. I want to invite you today to do that. 
Jesus um, said to his disciples right before he ascended into heaven, he said, wait, wait for the Holy Spirit to come upon you before you do anything, before you do anything. And I want to say that to us corporately and individually. Before you make any decision about what you're going through, before you make any decision about that situation at work or that relationship or that financial matter, before we make any decisions as a church about where we go from here, we need to wait for the Holy Spirit to come upon us. We need his spirit. We're going to worship in just a moment. But before we do that, I just want us to take a moment to be still and to wait. I'm going to pray. And I want to invite you then just to wait And just invite the spirit to come where you are right now. Because you might be in your own home. You might feel like you're in captivity in Babylon. You're not in the building, so to speak. But you know what? Neither is God. He's not locked up here. He's on the move. And wherever you are, that's where he is. That's where he's coming for. Because he wants you to see him. He wants you to know him. He wants you to meet with him. He wants you to yada him, to be with him. So let's pray and let's just wait on him. Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you, Jesus, that this is the story from beginning to end, that you always, always planned and had it in your heart that we would know you intimately, that we would walk with you, that we would experience you, that we would see you, that we would love you and be loved by you. What a God you are. What a God you are. We need you. We need you now more than ever. We need your presence. I want to pray that prayer that Moses prayed. Lord, if your presence doesn't go with us, then do not send us out. God, don't call us out of lockdown back to being church as we were before if your presence isn't with us. God, don't call us out of all the situations in our lives if your presence isn't with us. What else sets us apart? Nothing else. Nothing else but you. So God, we pray this morning, pour out your spirit. Pour out your spirit. Church, I want to invite you. uh, If you're able, then stand. If not, that's okay. Sit. But hold out your hands. Hold out your hands. And just invite him in again. Hold them, hands up, hands open. God, we lay everything before you. Nothing is closed off from you. We just want you. You are not the God that is locked up in the temple. You are the God that meets us wherever we are. So I'm taking you at your word right now, Jesus. Pour out your spirit upon this church in our homes in our bedrooms, in our living rooms, wherever we are right now. Even if we're sat in our cars listening to this on the podcast, God, pour out your spirit. Don't be in a rush to go anywhere. I want to encourage you, church, just wait. Wait and receive. Pour out your spirit, God.
And as Ezekiel saw you, he fell face down. He fell face down. And so, God, we worship you now. We worship you now.